This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're going to talk a little bit about Campaign 2008 in our second segment today with Bob Newman, the CEO of Newman Communications, the organization which has brought us so many excellent guests over the years. The twists and turns of this year's uh, electoral horse race are getting a little strange at this point, and we're going to take a moment to step back and look at what's going on and what's likely to happen in the near future. That in our second segment today. Let us start the program as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in our case today is March 27th. It was on March 27th in 1855 that an American inventor, Abraham Gesner, got a patent for a process that derived a flammable oil from coal. He called the oil kerosene. You probably know it best as the stuff that jet engines fly on. On March 27th in 1912, two Japanese cherry trees were planted along the Potomac River in Washington, D.C. These were the first of 3,020 trees given by Japan to the United States. After World War II, cuttings from Washington's cherry trees were sent back to Japan to restore the Tokyo collection decimated by American bombing attacks during the war. Yours truly expects to be in Washington, D.C. this weekend. On the next week's show, I'll be able to hopefully have a report on uh, what those cherry trees are like in full blossom. It's, of course, supposed to be very cool, and, uh, well, I'll give you a report. It was on this date in 1929 that Yugoslavia and Greece signed a treaty of friendship. I think that's worth mentioning in view of the fact that the Macedonian Republic, part of the former Yugoslavia, is now, of course, arguing with Greece over who has the right to the name Macedonia. And it was on this date in 1945 that Argentina, seeing clearly at this point where the political winds were blowing, decided to declare war on Germany and Japan. And it was on this date in 1964, the second largest earthquake ever recorded, struck southern Alaska. It created a deadly tsunami over 100 feet high, killing 125 people near the Anchorage area. A subsequent tsunami struck Crescent City and created four fatalities here in California as well. Our quote of the day comes from T.E. Lawrence, a man we talked about briefly on last week's program, who said in his epic Seven Pillars of Wisdom, All men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds, awake to find that it was vanity. But the dreamers of day are dangerous men. They may act their dreams with open eyes to make it possible. Our quip of the day comes from a Chicago law firm's billboard ad, which featured barely clothed models with the motto, Life is short. Get a divorce. Evidently, Angered city officials eventually took the billboard down. Our uh, joke of the day is rooted in the real news story that Air France-KLM evidently purchased the Italian air carrier Alitalia for a bargain price of $216 million. Some years back, comic Jackie Mason quipped that uh, El Al, the national air carrier of Israel, had purchased Alitalia, renaming it Well, I'll tell ya. 
Our stat of the day comes from USA Today slash Kaiser slash Harvard poll, which says that 4 in 10 Americans say they're having trouble paying for prescription drugs. 16% say that paying for drugs is a serious problem. 29% haven't filled the prescription for the past two years due to cost. And perhaps worst of all, 23% have skipped doses or cut pills in half to make their medication last longer. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week a couple weeks back for gun nuts when Arizona State Senator Karen Johnson introduced a bill that would allow students to carry firearms on college campuses. Her initial bill wanted to cover all public schools, kindergarten and up. Here's the part I like best. Actual quote from Arizona State Senator Karen Johnson. I feel like our kindergartners are sitting there like sitting ducks. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for popping the question after Lefkos Haji of London hid a $12,000 engagement ring in a helium balloon to present to his girlfriend, but he accidentally let go of it. Now she's refusing to speak to me, he says. And it's kind of an ugly week last week for the American workforce. And actually, this has been, this, this has been in play for about a year. I just didn't notice this story until recently. That uh, evidently last year, James McPherson, the editor of a California news site, PasadenaNow.com, <laughs> announced that they're outsourcing local political reporting to journalists in India. Said Mr. McPherson to Newsweek magazine, whether you're at a desk in Pasadena or a desk in Mumbai, you're still just a phone call or email away from the interview. All right, from the Only in America file, we have this item. A New York stockbroker is suing a Manhattan gentleman's club, claiming he was injured by a stripper while receiving a lap dance. According to The Week magazine, the lawsuit from Stephen Chang, a married man in his 30s, states he was relaxing at the hot lap dance club when, during the course of said lap dance, the employee swung around, striking him in the eye with the heel of her shoe. The club's manager, Lou, said he was unaware of the accident. We have a first aid kit, said Lou, and we would have treated the guy. All right, from the Only in Italy file, we have this one. Apparently Italians cannot be punished for lying to police about their love affairs. That's according to a ruling by Italy's highest court. Evidently, uh, the case involved a woman which lent her cell phone to her lover who used it to make harassing calls to her husband. When police asked whether she knew the caller, she said no and was later indicted for obstructing justice. The court, though, decided that denying an affair is a matter of self-protection and falls under the law that says Italians cannot be forced to incriminate themselves. Ruled the court, having a lover is a circumstance that damages the honor of a person. So, it is every Italian's right 
to hide that circumstance. Well, too bad Elliot Spitzer wasn't the mayor of Florence. And uh, from the only in the Philippines file, we have this one, another, another court-related matter. Evidently, last week, a court in the Philippines acquitted former First Lady Amelda Marcos of 32 counts of stealing public money. Marcos gained notoriety after her husband Ferdinand was deposed in a 1986 uprising, and she was found to have owned 15 mink coats and more than 1,000 pair of shoes. While the couple was accused of stealing some $10 billion, that's with a B, in state funds during their 20 years in power, neither was ever convicted, and very little of the money was recovered. Imelda, age 78, appeared in court last week, begowned and bejeweled, saying, I'm so happy. This will subtract from the 901 cases that were filed against the Marcoses. Well, indeed, one down, 900 to go. Speaking of uh, interesting judicial decisions, a lot of people are watching what's going to happen at the Supreme Court regarding the, uh, the gun ban in Washington, D.C. We'll report on that as soon as we have some news. But it is curious to think that it's all been almost two years now since Sam Alito replaced Sandra Day O'Connor in the Supreme Court. And uh, by not advertising himself as being a right-winger, Sam, of course, uh, got to confirm to the court. And during the last couple of years, he's done things like uh, sided with the majority in a decision that made it easier for police to seize material and carry out searches without knocking or waiting. He has uh, sided with the majority in a scaling back protections for federal whistleblowers. He's disagreed with the majority with their decision to reject the Bush administration's claims that it has no authority to regulate car emissions. And I believe he sided uh, actually with the majority recently, and this is one case where Clarence Thomas disagreed with Antonin Scalia, saying that up in the state of Washington that uh, the power brokers of both parties, Democrat and, and Republican, did not have their rights infringed upon by a law that allowed crossover voting. Regrettably, we had such a law here in California a few years back, and both parties went to the Supreme Court to claim that this interfered with their freedom of assembly. Of course, one thing you can count on the Democrats and Republicans agreeing upon is that uh, the movers and shakers in each party should retain all of their clout, not, uh, not, uh, not allowing it to be entrusted to you know, voters like you and me. How about this little item from last weekend? Uh, senators from both parties urged the Department of Justice to investigate the unauthorized searches of the passport files of Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and John McCain. Yeah, all three of them U.S. senators. Last week, Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice apologized to the three presidential candidates uh, after the State Department confirmed the passport files had been compromised. Here's the part I like best. This is a, a, an illegality involving three U.S. senators, all candidates for the presidency, and our sitting attorney general, Michael Mukasey, indicated that prosecutors are likely to wait until the inspector general concludes the inquiry before deciding whether to open a Justice Department investigation. Yes, there's no sense rushing off and op opening an investigation into this matter. Pennsylvania Senator Arlen Specter, the top Republican on the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, urged Mukasey to, uh, to proceed with an investigation, noting that this breach could be a violation of several federal criminal statutes. Specter also said the Judiciary Committee may take a look at it themselves, noting, I think privacy is a very fundamental matter, and if you can't have privacy for Senator McCain, Clinton, and Obama, what's the average person facing?
On a much happier note, we would note that an editorial in the New York Times last weekend said that voters nationwide have seen that electronic voting cannot be trusted. This is in the wake of some irregularities in New Jersey. And New Jerseyans are the latest to learn this unfortunate lesson. It's now clear that the state's machines produced suspicious results in the February 5th presidential primary. Rather than working to put doubts to rest, the machine's manufacturer is resisting a proper inquiry. New Jersey needs to quietly get to the bottom of the problem to ensure voters that in November, their ballots will be counted accurately. Noted the Times, at least five of New Jersey's 21 counties reported discrepancies in the tallies of a small number of their machines. Election officials insist the inconsistencies, which involve the number of Republican and Democratic voters casting ballots, do not affect the accuracy of the vote counts, but notes the paper, there is no way to be sure. We've been reporting on this issue for years on this program and are are relieved to see that it's finally getting some attention from the mainstream heavyweights. Anyway, we like to take a look back uh, frequently in time here to see what we can learn, and uh, I was impressed by the article by Johnny Miller in the San Francisco Chronicle this weekend. It's in the column titled The Wayback Machine, where Mr. Miller goes back and I guess looks at the... uh, the files of the paper for what was happening in the news at various time intervals uh, ago. One really struck me was the one from 75 years ago, 1933, noting that the Chronicle reported 75 years ago this week that the day after Germany became a dictatorship under Adolf Hitler, both sides of the anti-Semitic demonstrations occurring in Germany were presented here for public consideration. Judge Isidore Golden, former assistant DA and chairman of the Anti-Defamation Committee of the B'nai B'rith, listed the atrocities committed against Jews. While Gustav Heuser, German Council General in San Francisco, offered a statement from the German government stating that conditions in Germany have been grossly exaggerated and many of the stories are inventions and pure atrocity propaganda. According to Golden, the cruelties practiced are comparable with scenes of the Middle Ages, with press agencies muzzled by German authorities to prevent the facts from reaching the outside world. Golden said, Every shop and store has been closed. Every Jew employed on public works has been dismissed. No Jewish physician, lawyer, or musician can practice his profession. Jewish homes have been invaded by armed Nazis and Jews taken out, tortured, and slaughtered. Even the home of Einstein was invaded on the pretext it might contain bombs and ammunition. It's curious in the story that uh, the, the comments by the German Council General were, were treated uh, seriously. You know, in putting forth the notion that these stories were inventions and pure atrocity propaganda. We now know, of course, they were not. So I thought it was curious to look at a, a contemporary news item coming out of China, wherein this weekend China accused the Dalai Lama of stoking Tibetan unrest to sabotage the Beijing Olympics and berated House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, saying she's ignoring the truth about Tibet. China's official Xinhua News Agency, which if you notice is all over the internet, published commentary Sunday accusing Pelosi of ignoring the violence caused by the Tibet rioters. Human rights police like Pelosi are habitually bad-tempered and ungenerous when it comes to China refusing to check their facts and find out the truth of the case, it said. Her views are like so many other politicians and Western media. Beneath the double standards lies their intention to serve the interest groups behind them who want to contain or smear China. 
Well, I'm sorry. Tibet was an independent nation for a long, long time till the, the Communist Chinese invaded uh, during the Mao era. And just because China always considered that Tibet uh, belonged to it doesn't mean necessarily that it did. remember eating in a Chinese restaurant about uh, almost 20 years ago here in Sacramento and noticing a large map of China on the wall. It looked very strange to me. So I went over to try and figure out what was odd about it, and I noticed that the Chinese also consider Mongolia to be a part of China. Anyway, we mentioned in last week's program that the Chinese government is mobilizing 600,000 people to stop any protests that might spontaneously arise during the Beijing Olympics. And NPR reported recently that for a three-week period during the Olympics, the government is consciously planning to relax all of the restrictions on Internet access so that foreign visitors will note, well, what's, what's the problem? I can, I can access everything I want here in China. With censorship, of course, to resume once the foreigners leave. And on a happier note, it appears that uh, people digging over in Germany have discovered a long-lost treasure, that being the Amber Room which had formerly been in uh, the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg. The invading Nazis uh, basically took it apart, shipped it off to, uh, to Germany, where it has been lost ever since. But um, researchers think they have now uncovered this great treasure, although they're, they're now fighting over who has the rights to it. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But it would be very curious to have this, uh, this work, which was described by some as the eighth wonder of the world, uh, available for public viewing again for the first time since World War II. Of course, whether it'll be dis on display in Russia or Germany, I think, remains to be resolved. And by way of follow-up, we mentioned on last week's program that it was uh, the anniversary of Nikola Tesla getting a patent for uh, the transmission of electricity without wires. Article in Newsweek uh, last week by Jenny Yabrov about Tesla noted that to a growing group of artists, writers, musicians, and filmmakers, Tesla has become an inspiration. And they quoted Samantha Hunt, author of a new novel, The Invention of Everything Else, a fictionalized depiction of Tesla's life, saying that Tesla thought of invention as an art form, and that appeals to artists. Everyone seems to agree that Tesla had a kind of an anti-materialistic streak to him, which, uh, which had evidently endears him to artists, but also prevented him from getting his due said Hunt, he was a horrible capitalist, and America tends to remember successful capitalists. Anyway, a few years back, I visited the Tesla Society in San Francisco, and they still send me emails on occasion. I think we're going to have to go down and pay those folks a visit and kind of clear, uh, clear the air about the, the story of this very curious individual. Anyway, it's a very sad milestone reached this week when uh, the number of U.S. war deaths in Iraq finally totaled 4,000. This total was achieved when a bomb killed four soldiers in their vehicle in southern Baghdad. It'd be worth noting that on the same day, more than 60 Iraqis were killed and dozens were injured in attacks in Baghdad and north of the capital. Although a lot of officials in the administration are claiming that the surge worked in, uh, in decreasing violence, it seems rather more likely that the ceasefire ordered by Muqtada al-Sadr, which is uh, slated to stand in effect until August, uh, has probably more to do with it. American officials have warned that progress is reversible, and militants will continue to wage attacks as many of the additional 28,000 U.S. troops leave by the end of July. Of course, John McCain said on the campaign stump not long ago that we're going to be in Iraq for the next 100 years. 
I don't know if any of you saw the frontline uh, uh, examination of the war in Iraq titled Bush's War. According to uh, discussions of this, of this documentary, it was said that though many programs have, have been devoted to pieces of this conflict, this documentary connects the dots and fills in the spaces with meticulous detail. If you saw it, please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. We need to hear from you, especially in view of the fact that uh, Vice President Dick Cheney made a surprise visit to Iraq uh, last week and uh, said that the war that began five years ago, well, he called it a successful endeavor and that it has been well worth the effort. And I'm sure from the Vice President's perspective as the former president of Halliburton that this war in Iraq has really, in, in fact, been a very successful endeavor. A lot of money has been made by Halliburton. Now, there are people out there that would call uh, the war in Iraq the very worst sort of war profiteering. And personally, I find that hard to disagree with. But, you know, arguably the worst part about spending $10 billion for a war that is not making us one bit safer is the fact that that's money that is not being spent domestically. Like, uh, like this news item from Minneapolis, noting that the photos taken of the Interstate 35W bridge uh, showed that... Uh, Steel connecting plates were visibly bent as early as 2003, four years before the span collapsed, killing 13 people. This turned up in photos believed to have been taken by URS Inc., a San Francisco consulting firm that was hired to examine the bridge from 2003 to 2007. Noted James Schwebel, an attorney representing a group of victims, URS and the state have both got a lot of explaining to do as far as why the bending was not observed, and if it was observed, why that it was not immediately investigated. My question would be, why wasn't it immediately fixed? It's worth taking a moment sometimes to review the fact that uh, Osama bin Laden is still at large. Al-Qaeda has in fact moved from its base in, uh, in Pakistan and Afghanistan now into Iraq, where it was not prior to our invasion. And while 15 of the 19 attackers on September 11th were Saudi, and the money that apparently financed the attack came primarily from Saudi Arabia, the Saudi government has faced no punitive actions from the U.S. Of course, if you spend $3 trillion on a war, that's $3 trillion you're not spending to fix bridges, develop medicines, or indeed provide health care for all Americans. And while I don't profess to know the answer as to what would solve our health care woes, I'm pretty darn certain that $3 trillion could buy a lot of fixes. And now let's have a word from America's foremost political comic and our pal, Will Durst. Well, thanks, Doug. And today I'm here to tell you that it's a good thing I'm not a politician. I mean, besides the fact that I waste all my political muscle attempting to pass legislation outlawing that barbaric custom of bar time, that is, and, and all those silly speed limit laws. Not to mention society's unconscionable restrictions on prostitution. Right, Elliot? Now, you can't say I didn't try, either. Back in 1987, I ran for mayor of San Francisco. Spent 1500 bucks, came in fourth out of 11, got 2% of the vote. The three guys who beat me out each spent over a million dollars apiece. It's on a dollar-per-vote basis. I am mayor of San Francisco. Of course, those darn electoral commissioners just didn't see it my way. 
I did learn many things back then. Uh, one is you won't endear yourself to constituents at a candidate forum by shouting up, the hell you looking at? I thought it was funny. Also, my patience dealing with total stone-crazed loonies turns out to be smaller than the pool of generosity generally awarded a wounded bunny by a starving wolverine. Diplomacy and Durst, not a match. They go together like Picasso and peanut butter. I could never hold my tongue like Chelsea Clinton did the other day when some cretin asked about her mother's response to Monica Lewinsky. My retort, blowed out your butt, dirtbag, would have probably garnered me equal time on a Fox News loop with the Reverend Jeremiah Wright. And speaking of Chelsea's mother, one can only admire the strength of her political equilibrium for being able to maintain a straight face when she explained how she made a mistake claiming she came under hostile fire in Bosnia 12 years ago. My guess is that at the end of the day, we'll find out it wasn't her, it was her husband, and it wasn't Bosnia, it was their bedroom. See? Not very politic. I told you. For Radio Parallax, I remain the unhonorable Will Durst. And I think we need a break. So let's take one and come back and talk to Bob Newman, CEO of Newman Communications, about this year's election. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Taking you nowhere Angel Look at that sky Life's begun Lights are warm